I'm probably older than him, but I feel like I'm sitting in the feet of a sage, someone who really understands the mind of God and the heart of God and is able to communicate that in a way like no one else I've ever heard. Been a professor at Alliance Theological Seminary for the last 27 years, president of Global Leadership Incorporated, been in 30 countries around the globe, sharing God's truth in amazing ways. About a year and a half ago when I heard this material, I actually heard it online, and I asked him, please, at some point, in your journey of life, would you come and share this with the people of Community Alliance Church? And he's agreed to do that, obviously, today. Listen very carefully to the heart of God as he speaks to you through Martin this morning. Keep in mind that we're hoping he'll return and share even more with us, and I'll give you information more about that next week. Martin Sanders. Thanks, Jenny. I'm going to give you the introduction that I want and that he couldn't do. <laughs> there are three sides to Martin Sanders. Some of you are looking at me going, I think there's enough mass for more than three, but we'll stick with three. First one, when, you're, uh, when you've been a professor forever, especially now I run doctoral programs, when you come to a church, people go, the Reverend Doctor Professor. Seriously, at the introduction, I've watched people. They look for the door. They're going, this is going to be long and dull. We'll, we'll, we'll try to save you from all that. I'm a regular guy. I have four children. Uh, youngest daughter's getting married next Sunday or Saturday. And uh, before I did what I do now, I thought I was going to be a dairy farmer my whole life. So it's true. I am a certified artificial inseminator of cattle. <laughs> and... Uh, it looks really good on my wall right beside my ordination. <laughs> and I've discovered it gives me huge credibility in marriage counseling. <laughs> it's true. The second side of me is I'm a researcher. But I, I research different things than most professors. Mine's far more interesting. And so because I travel a fair amount, when you get on a plane, especially like this time, uh, an automatic upgrade to first class, it's always sort of fun conversations. And so when people ask what I do, I change my occupation depending on the kind of conversation I want to have. <laughs> so very often they'll say, what do you do? And I said, I'm a researcher. I go, really, what do you research? I research why unchurched people don't go to church. Do you go to church? <laughs> no. May I interview you? <laughs> Great conversation. When the plane's really full and I'm in coach and I'm sitting on the aisle, and there's no place to move, and someone says, what do you do? I give them a big smile and go, I'm an evangelist. <laughs> no one wants to sit by the big evangelist. <laughs> the third side of me is I came to Christ as a young adult. I had one child and one on the way. I figured out pretty quickly, I've got this one life to invest. I want to figure out what's the most important way to pass on the best of what the Father's given to me. And so part of what today will be about is just how do you do that with the people, first of all, starting in your own heart and soul. And then how do you pass it on to the people who know you best? I understand you are in a series on Joshua. So as I look at Joshua, one of the overarching themes is just the power of words. The words God spoke to the leaders. To regular people and what they did with those words power of words is often a father's blessing whether it's 
your father or the father. And from Joshua, he started in chapter 1. And he says to his son Joshua, be strong and courageous. Did you get it? He said, be strong and incredibly courageous. That's a great thing for a father to say to a son. It's a great thing for God to say to someone who's a leader. Be strong and courageous. Find it interesting when we get to chapter 7. This is where Achan decided to keep some of the things that were under the ban. And all of a sudden, the blessing of God was being lifted. And men in battle were dying needlessly. And so Joshua did what he knew best. He did the repentance style that he was just used to. He got on the ground and he put in a sackcloth and put ashes on him and he pulled his beard and his hair and he was crying out to God. And God said to him in a very cool voice, get up, get up. There's no time to have your face down whining. There's something wrong. It's time to set it straight. Get this one right. I will not be with you anymore unless you take care of this. It's interesting to me if God spoke that way on this morning, how many of you would be willing to repent of things that you've let slide for a very long time. But not you, but those other people. Yeah. When you get to chapter 14 and the story of Caleb, Caleb is one of those great characters. Caleb knew after 40 years of not receiving the best of what God had promised to him. He knew what God had said, though. He said, you will receive your inheritance because, Caleb, my son, you have followed me fully all of your days. Now, who doesn't want to hear that one? And also there, Caleb, speaking for himself, he said, the Lord helping me, I will fulfill this mission. And then this great phrase, just as he said. When you've got the words of God spoken to you, over you, and you've received them, it just gives a person amazing authority, power, confidence, courage that you wouldn't have otherwise. However, some of us don't always get it. As we begin this morning, I want you to begin to identify those words that just run unguarded in your head. He said, I wish we had the technology. We could line you up and sort of hook electrodes to your head. And on the screen, not for anyone else to see, but just for you, that you could see what just runs unguarded in your head day in and day out. For some, it would be incredible. Others would be a bit sad. Because you've let the junk of life rob you of the best of what the Father has. You've got some old phrases that somebody gave you a long time ago that don't need to stay. And yet you let them run unguarded. If you don't know the words, there's a sense or a feeling. Every time I'm in this setting, this is what happens to me. Every time I feel like I can take this next great step of faith, there's always another voice that comes that goes, yeah, sure, remember last time? Yeah, how long did that one last, you loser? Again, none of you. But there's probably some people who will hear this someplace. They go, yeah, that does happen. Some of you know the phrases. And some of them, it's very positive. You can do this. You are this. 
But on the other side, there's some of the rest who have this phrase that says, you can't do that. You'll never, you fill in the blank, you know the story. Not words the Father wants you to leave with today. Let's identify also the sense or feeling of what was missed. Clinically, there is a term that's used in clinical psychology called deprivations. These are the things that people want and need growing up. If you get them well, it seems to build a solid base into you. If you don't get them, there's always this sense that I sort of missed something somewhere along the line. Again, it's often the power of the words, the words spoken that weren't good or the words not spoken that you longed to hear. When they come, they give this great power. When they don't, there's always just this sense that somehow something has been missing. Then I mentioned I've done global leadership in dozens of countries now. And over the years, having spoken with uh, some, some of the most talented young leaders we can find in those countries that year, often at the someplace in the middle or end of a conference, we do these sort of speaking words of blessing over people. It's just incredible what, uh, what it has to replace, what's been running unguarded in that head. And when my mother was alive, no matter where I was in the world, I would call her and just thank her. And it was always funny because she'd go, where are you calling from? And I would tell her, and she goes, it sounds like you're right next door. And I said, I know, Mom, technology's amazing. Um, yeah, can, uh, it's, it's a lot of money. Can I just say a couple of things here? And I always would just thank her. And as a mom, she'd always cry. That's what moms do. Because I said, you gave me these great gifts. In the midst of everything else that happened that didn't happen, you gave those to me, so thank you. I've only begun to discover how fortunate I am to have those. So since I brought up deprivations, let's talk about them for just a minute. Deprivations are these building blocks you need to, in your life to have strength, substance, significance. Now what we have done well, I mean all you have to do is go to any bookstore at any mall, go while they still have them, with online sales, who knows how long they'll still have them. But there will be these large sections on parenting. And we, we want to track the physical development and the intellectual development of children. And it's intriguing because, I mean, it's all staged out there. You know, your child needs to be doing this by this age and this by this age, and you need to make sure they have the right sort of uh, uh, vitamins and food and all sorts of things to make sure that they develop well. I always love this one when there's... <laughs> Um, it's what you take a, a boy's height at two and a half and you double it and that's like how tall he's going to be. It's one of those kind of things. And I have dads who are like five, seven. They say to me, my son's going to be six, four. Really? <laughs> who, uh, who snuck in while you were traveling? <laughs> like, come on, dude, that ain't, that's not going to happen to your son. Um, unless there's some weird genetic kickback someplace, it's, it's going, it's not going to happen. Living in New York, it's hilariously sad because people want to get their kids a step up on everybody else. 
So they've had, actually had to create um, policies that you can't register your kid for preschool until they're born. <laughs> and so people actually, there's always a way to work around the system. So they're faking a birth date and giving the kid a name so that they can already get them registered for preschool before they're born. Because you get them right preschool, then you get in the right kindergarten and get in the right pub, private school so you can get to the Ivy League. Going, re relax. Because it's the other stuff your kid needs. One of my unique ministries has been to the excessively wealthy. I don't know how I got that. Well, look at me, and I mean, obvious. <laughs> but I find these teenagers and young adults who got everything they didn't need. They, they got a new Mercedes at the 16th birthday. They got all sorts of stuff. But the basics of love and security somehow got missed. And no matter what else they get in life, they're always going to feel like they've missed something. So we've done this with physiological development. We've done it with cognitive development. We've not done it with emotional development. Emotional development is probably the one that builds the strength into your life as much or more than anything else. And somehow... When we didn't get it, it's pretty hard to pass it on. It's one of the things I love most about God. Because he has this ability to come and intersect the heart of the Father with your human experience in such a way that can give you, just download things in you you never got. And if you are a lousy kid and not a great parent, you can become an amazing grandparent. And if you didn't make it as a grandparent, you can become an incredible great-grandparent. There's still hope. So what are these deprivation things? They're pretty basic. Fortunately, there's not that many of them. It starts with security. Just a sense that it's okay to be me in this world, in this house. I'm not going to be hit. I'm not going to be yelled at. I'm not going to be devalued because I didn't measure up to somebody else's standard. A sense that you're loved. And let me take some pressure off all of you who are parents, especially those who have mild paranoia. <laughs> By the way, typically in an audience like this, level of laughter, level of guilt usually go together. <laughs> Just so you know. There's pretty much only two things a kid needs growing up to have a pretty good shot at becoming a, a healthy adult. You give them a sense of personal security and a sense they're loved, and it's amazing what they can become. Don't give them that no matter else what you give them. It'll always feel like they've missed something. There's also this intimacy factor. Intimacy defined is just simply a sense of being understood and valued and appreciated simply for who you are. When done in the context of relationship, it really empowers you to go on to the next level. There's a sense of affirmation. We all know people who are affirmation junkies. They do things to be seen. Church is often filled with people who do really good things for very wrong reasons. To somehow get some validation someplace. That's one of them. Confidence. Confidence is that inner strength. We'll talk about it again as we move on. Remember, that's where Joshua 1 starts. Be strong and courageous. We'll make a distinction between courage and confidence. And then significance. It's just, do I matter? Let me flesh this out for just a moment. I grew up in a really fun family. 
And according to my, uh, I was one of four children, according to my mother, I was the brightest and best looking. Um, no, it's quite true, you, sh you should see the rest of them. Um, it's quite dreadful. And they, they know I say this and nobody disagrees with me, it's true. And we had this really fun family until I was 10. Then all of a sudden, like the month I turned 10, my grandfather died. Uh, but come on, grandparents pass away, that's how it is. But he, he'd lived next door a mile away on this gravel road. And uh, I'd saw him every day, we farmed together. And then just a short time later, my oldest brother who was 20, he was the oldest, I was the youngest. He was responsible for a lot of the laughter in our home. He was on his way to see his fiancee and a truck semi-tractor trailer had missed its turn and backed crossways of the road and my son was just in my brother's eyes he couldn't see it and he went underneath the bed of the truck and sheared the top of his car off lived in a coma for a few weeks but died three days before Christmas changed our family dramatically not long after that it was the Vietnam era my next brother was drafted into the Marine Corps and sent to Vietnam of the nine guys that went over together only two came home alive he came home alive, but he was a hopeless alcoholic. While he's in Vietnam, my sister went a thousand miles away to college, and so it was my mom and my dad and me. And at age 49, without warning, my dad had a massive heart attack and died. I had just turned 15. Now, what do 15-year-old boys need? Mm, everything. There was just nothing there. My mom was depressed, not coping well, and just not much there. I think it's why it set the course for so much of my life. I mean, I, I got married young. I was 18, married an older woman. She was 19. And um, <laughs> I, I think when we came to Christ, I think it's why I connected so deeply with God. It just filled this thing. Having heard my story at conferences, I've had people come up to me and say, boy, it, you had two options. I mean, you could have been on Jerry Springer's couch or you could have figured out how to do this well and pass it on to help people in the kingdom of God. And I said, yeah, I'm glad I made that choice. Sometimes these aren't nearly as dramatic. They're just subtle, though. I got a pastor who called and he said, uh, Martin, there's a young couple I need you to see. Um, I think they're 24. He said, Good-looking couple, been married eight and a half months. She came home and found him looking at porn, and she's just devastated. Because I, I don't know what to do with this. Can you see him? They always send the perverts to me. I'll, I'll, I'll meet with some of you later. Um, remember a level of laughter, level of guilt, yeah. So they came in and sat down. Striking couple. He was 6'4", probably 215, 20. Strapping lad. She was just beautiful. Tall, modelish, good looks. And she was just devastated. I mean, married what she thought was a man of dreams. Comes home eight months later. and You get the picture. And so we chatted for just a few minutes. I said to her, why don't you go get a cup of coffee? I want to be alone with this boy. She was so happy. Fix him, really fix him. Yeah, I will. I've got a big rubber mallet. I'll fix him. Um, so she leaves, and I looked at him, and I said, porn's not your issue. So what do you mean porn's not my issue? I got caught with porn. I said, you got caught with porn because you're stupid. Porn's not your issue. So what do you mean it's not my issue? 
So stick with me for a minute. He said, I'm, I'm willing to bet that when you're home alone and there's uh, nothing to look at, you even look at your wife's women's magazines, don't you? And he goes, how do you know that? And I said, I know a lot. Stick with me. He said, don't you? He goes, yeah. I said, when you were growing up as a kid, your mom probably had catalogs, right? He goes, yeah. I said, you looked at those all the time, didn't you? Yeah. He goes, what section did you look at? He goes, well, of course, the women. I said, yeah, but which part? He goes, uh, you, you, you kind of know. So of course. He said, when you look at women's magazines, whether it's porn or your wife's women's magazines or catalogs when you were a kid, what part of the woman did you look at? He goes, you won't believe me? And I said, bet I will. What'd you look at? He goes, I look at their eyes. I said, of course you do. He said, tell me about your mom. He got really defensive. What do you want to know about my mom? Just tell me your story. Give me the narrative. He said, my mom was 37 years old. She'd never had a child in her life. And they decided to adopt, and they adopted me. He said, I was seven months old, and my mom got pregnant for the first time in her life at 38. And at 39, she had the daughter she always wanted. I said, I want you to remember the phrase you remember most growing up. Remember, we already covered that. What's the phrase you remember most growing up? His head went down and said, no, let me hear it. What's the phrase? He said, my mom used to look at me like I didn't even matter as a person. And she would say, will you get out of here? I don't even want to look at you. Now, here's a 24-year-old, 6'4", strapping lad, who in here is a four-year-old hurt, adopted, adopted boy who, who's an orphan. And the people who took him in said, I don't even want to look at you. Folks, it's intriguing to me how much otherwise reasonable people have thoughts, feelings, other things that just run unguarded in their heads. And it's those kinds of things your father wants to address in you. There's some other factors like how big a deal fears play, other traumas that have come. About four years ago on Thanksgiving, my, without being the I'm thankful for thing. Just in the middle of dinner, my wife said, you know one of the things I really am so grateful for? As many fears as I grew up with, I didn't pass any of them along to you kids. And the, and the four kids just burst out laughing all at the same time. And they said, are you kidding, Mom? He, like, passed them all on to us. <laughs> she goes, seriously, you seem so confident. And they said, because we saw how much it paralyzed you, we decided not to do that. My oldest son's a big guy. He's finishing a Ph.D. out in L.A. His, his uh, mailing address is Beverly Hills. But remember, he's a graduate student, so it's not the good part of Beverly Hills. <laughs> Bo's 6'4", about 260. A good athlete. And he was in this leadership program. And one of the things you had to do was the first day, you had to repel a 100-foot cliff. And so they tell you there's various ways you can do it. But one is to do it Aussie style, and that is you go off the edge of the cliff and then you flip upside down and go down hands first or head first if you prefer. So Bo volunteered to go first. He was right at the edge of the load limit. And he grabs the rope, lets out this primal yell, 
runs, which they tell you never to do, especially if you're at the load limit, runs, jumps off the cliff, flips over midair, and goes down hands first. I said, Bo, you're a wild man. What do you mean you have fears? He goes, Dad, I knew if I didn't do it with a flare, I wouldn't do it. So there are ways to take those things and address them. I want to go to the bottom line here of analogies. Some of you are old enough. Clearly in this audience, there's a number of you old enough to remember file folders and file cabinets. <laughs> I, I still long for those days sometimes when I can't find things on my computer. But I decided a couple years ago I had to clean all mine out because I, I was a professor and I just had endless numbers of these. And so I got my young staff to work with me. And... Uh, we pulled out a file folder that said Contemporary Trends, and the first thing I pulled out was from 1988. Um, but the file folder thing is, instead of you can just take all your stuff and pitch it, or for most of you, you're a little more methodical than that. You go through your file folders and pull stuff out and go, do I need this? No, pitch it. You can take most of your stuff and bring it down. But the better analogy, I think, is the closet. Now, for some of you, you're young enough but you've begun to leave home. At least you go away for a while and then come back for visits when you're low on cash. You have either a room or at least a closet back home. And those of you who are parents of adults or young adults, there's almost always a closet with stuff in from before. And finally, you've had enough of it. And you say, will you come home next weekend and clean out this closet? So people think, yeah, I can do that. It'll take a couple of hours. And you go open up the closet door and it's like an avalanche, stuff just falls out. And you go, I, I gotta process this stuff. It's the memories of my life. That's what's there. And so everybody creates three piles. Stuff I'm gonna throw away, stuff I'm gonna keep, stuff I can't decide. And for a lot of us, the stuff I can't decide just keeps getting bigger. And as we do that, it's so intriguing. There's a, there's a stuffed animal. I mean, this thing's dreadful. The, air, the ears flapped over, one eye's hanging down. It's matted and just nasty. You go, yeah, but it got me through some tough times. I want to keep that thing. Oh, okay. Those guys have their first ball glove. I mean, this thing is just terrible. It hasn't had a ball in it forever. The thumb's folded over. It's like this. You can't use it till you've had a terrible stroke. I need to repent of that one, sorry. <laughs> what the issue is, folks, it's, it's the memories of your life. And you pull them out and go, do I keep it? Do I get rid of it? Do I have a hard time knowing what to do with that? And it's in those moments where you run through the reels of the story of your life. You see, your father wants to do that in your soul. You've got some leftover images. You've got some just junk in there. He's forgiven you a long time ago. You still carried around. Somehow it's somewhere between the cross you have to carry, you tell yourself, but it's more like a curse hanging around your neck. It's time to process that and simply get some new words to replace those old things with. I'm going to fast forward through just a couple of things. Some, do some father-mother stuff. A lot of people are growing up with, 
single parents, so it's hard to have exact father or exact mother things. Sometimes one parent does both. Sometimes you have extended family or the community of faith helps take care of it. But when a father builds into children's lives, there's this sense of security. You know what that feels like, a sense that they're loved. The confidence versus courage. When I first started doing young leaders conferences, young women would be there. It was so funny. They would almost always come up to me and go, Martin, I, I don't think I should be here. I know it's invitation only, but I shouldn't be here. These other women are so much sharper than me. I don't know how I got invited. I thought, eh, I'll play with them. So I go, you're right. They made a mistake on you. Um, everybody else deserved to be invited but you. I go, come on. You know that's not true. Now let me ask you a question. How old? How old is a scared little girl right now? And everybody has an age. They remember. So now, what do you need? Do you need more confidence or do you need more courage? Every time they say, I need more confidence, and I go, are you sure? Which is a terrible thing to, ask, to say to someone who's just said they need confidence. Are you sure? They go, why do you ask? And I said, because I think you actually need courage. And they go, what's the difference? I said, confidence is you're not sure what to do. Courage is you know what to do. You're just afraid to step into the arena and deliver. I go, yeah, I need courage. I said, the great thing about that is God says you can pray for that one. It's a character quality you can get. Dads are responsible for affirmation and blessing, dreams. My youngest son did a gap year that turned into a gap five-year thing, I think. He was uh, still, 20, still 22, and he'd been in 24 countries. He took that thing to excess. We were together in England one time, and he said, uh, Dad, my, all the people here wanted to beat you. They've heard the stories. You've been over there to speak, but they'll, so they know me, and they've heard the stories. And he goes, they really wanted to meet you. And he goes, um, you, you, you have this weird reputation. Well, you, you have to follow up with a question when somebody says that. So I said, what is it? And he goes, well, like, you're not a regular dad. I said, really? What's that mean? He goes, well, like, mom's a regular mom. So what makes her a regular mom? He goes, you know, she, she just loves me. She sends these care packages. It's everything I've wanted. He goes, then you get to the bottom of the care package, and there's a package of underwear. He goes, Dad, I'm 19. If I want to wear underwear, I buy my own. But Mom just takes care of everything. He goes, but you're not a real dad. I said, okay, I'll play along. What's that mean? He said, well, you're somewhere between a mentor and a friend and a coach. I said, what's that mean? He goes, Dad, you feed my dreams. And I looked at him and I said, isn't that what dads do? And he looked back and he goes, seriously, you don't know this? Most dads are still trying to correct behavior when you get older. They don't feed your dreams. Oh, wow. And A, I'm glad I got one right. But B, that's pretty sad. Feed their dreams. What's a mom contributions? Safety. It's so funny because dad thinks they're the ones. I provide safety for my family. 
I've been fascinated forever. You put a camera on, on any Saturday or Sunday, especially Sunday, you put a camera on any football player, very large men in very tight pants. You put a camera on them, what's the first thing they almost always say? Hi, Mom. When they get hurt, who do they want? I want my mom. Notice moms are often the ones who feed the memories. The memories. Folks, I want to move you to the end of this presentation, if I can. There's time for other stuff later. I want to talk about uh, the blessing. It's a, it's a key pattern in Scripture. It gives us the power of these words spoken over us, to us, in us, over us. A, a blessing looks like this. Blessing says to someone, you really matter. You're valuable. I care. I want the best for you. You can do something or you can be something. It's pretty much all the blessing is. But it's quite specific. My youngest daughter was uh, moving into her senior year in high school, and she said to me, Dad, look, I know you read widely, but I'm pretty sure you don't read Seventeen magazine every month. I said, no, no, I don't. And she goes, uh, I, I thought so, so I got one for you, and I want you to read this article. Well, not only did she have the article identified, she'd highlighted the good points. And I read this article, and it was uh, how parents, in attempting to affirm their daughters, are way too general, and they don't update. And so I read it and thought, I was, at first I was a little hurt going, I thought I was pretty good at this. And then I figured out, oh, she wants it to be far more specific as she's getting older. So I went back to her and I said, thanks, I think I get it. She said, Dad, I love how much you love me. But she said, you're saying the same things to me you said when I was 10. She said, it's time to update. Be very specific. I need it. Then she used my own words against me. She said, Dad, I need you to become a student of my life. She's the one who just passed the bar in uh, Pennsylvania and is getting married next weekend. She felt the empowerment. Those words often come through a family. And we're going to see in just a moment, if you don't get them in a family, your Father in Heaven longs to speak them over you. A blessing looks like this. Five components to a blessing. By the way, if you can't get this quickly, I've got a book out there called How to Get Family You've Always Wanted. There's a couple chapters in there on this and a few of the other things if you'd like. It's very simple. It's a meaningful touch. Think about all of the stories in our world of people within even extended family structures whose touches weren't healthy, weren't you couldn't trust. A meaningful, trustworthy touch. A spoken word, a high value, a special future is pictured. And then actively committing to stand behind them with the blessing. One of our best ones in scripture comes in Zephaniah 3. Not a book the most of you have read lately. The Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He will delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And he'll rejoice over you with singing. Now, men, I want to talk to you for just a minute. You read this and it seems a little wimpy, right? Come on. Real, real men don't talk like this. 
So let me give you Zephaniah 3 for you. The Lord your God is amazing and he wants you. He's the strong father that you may never have had and that you wished you were. And he's there with you and for you. When, when he thinks of you, he smiles. Because he knows where you've come from and he knows where you're going. And he wants to give you the strength and the courage and the power to take it to the next level. Get it right. He'll bring a calmness and a peace over you and get rid of that anger you and everybody around you hates. He'll give it to you if you'll let him with the strength and power of his love. And he'll say, I know you don't like to sing. And no one likes to hear you sing either. He's going to say, I'm going to put a song in your heart that you can hum. It's a song I'm going to give you. And it's a song with the people around you. And they see it and hear it in your life. They're going to go, does that song have words? Because I love the song of your life, mate. That's what he says to men. And then he says, please get this one right. There's so much at stake. There's so much at stake. Let's get this one right. I want to finish with one project, research project. I was a young dad. My oldest son at 16 came to me. He said, Dad, of all my friends, I'm the only one who likes my dad. And I thought, cool. I'm, I'm the cool young father. I had a ponytail at the time. I had hair back then. So when he told me this, I just flipped the ponytail and went, good. good. But then my next son, who's six and a half years younger, he came along. I noticed the crowd he was running with. And without knowing the first conversation, he came to me and he said, Dad, it's really weird. Out of all my friends, I'm the only one who likes my dad at all. My oldest daughter had just started college. And so I said to her, check with your guy friends. Do any of them like their dad? And she goes, I, I don't know. And I said, ask. Well, she came back to me in a couple weeks and she said, ask 11 guys. Only one had something positive at all to say about his dad. I thought, I'm going to put together a simple questionnaire and go, I'm going to survey some 100 men and just see, young men, 16 to 23. Simple questions. What's the best aspect about relationship with your dad? What do you wish was different in your relationship with him? One regret you have about uh, how you responded to him? If you could change one thing about your relationship with your father, what would it be? The hundred then grew to 500, and I began to pass this along at some men's gatherings. And some older guys came along and said, why'd you stop at 23? Run it to 40 and see if it's the same research. So I did. I've done it in multiple cultures with over 2,000 men now. Here's the responses. Just listen. I wish we were closer. I wish he respected me more. I wish he listened better. I wish he yelled less. She wasn't always so angry. And then I interviewed 38 chaps in a pub in uh, Northern Ireland over lunch one day. 
And that's where I got the title of the book that'll be coming out in another year or so. Guy sat there and choking back tears, not an Irish trait. He goes, I just wish my dad and I could be friends. Yeah. Folks, here's what we're going to do. Some of you will never, ever get from a parent what you wished you would have gotten. You're too old, they're gone. As much as they'd like to say it, they don't have the ability. But you can hear the words of blessing from your Father in heaven. So I'm going to give you just 60 seconds and I'm going to do a prayer over you. If you're one who wants to receive that blessing this morning, and you know today's your day, this thing's hit you in a way you hate being hit. And on the other side, it's hitting a spot you're going, wow, give me more. Just a few seconds, I'm just going to ask you to stand where you are. We're going to do a prayer over you. Take a deep breath. If you want to hear one of those words of blessing over you today, just stand at your seat where you are right now. Stand. ask you to act like you're not in western Pennsylvania get your hands free get them out there come on get ready to receive something because a father either takes your hands or sometimes he takes your face and he squishes it just a little he touches the back of your head we're told in scripture he wipes away every tear from your eye so just listen Your Father in heaven knows your name and he wants you. He wants you. He is not looking for better performance from you. He's not looking for a bigger or a deeper or better commitment. He just wants you. I promise. And he wants to come to you in a way that takes pressure off of you. And he wants to come to you and speak that thing that feels like it missed something that it wanted or needed. Identify what it is. And let him say, I'm sorry. You didn't get it then. But I want to give it to you now. And listen as he speaks words. Words to you. Words over you. Where he calls your name and says, my daughter, my son. I've got a dream for you you've not yet realized. I have a love for you you've never been able to receive the level I want to give it. I have a future pictured for you that's somewhat different than the one you've had in the past. And I'm going to be there with you. And I'm going to be there for you. But it's the end of excuses. Come to me. And I'll give you what you need. I'll give you my peace. I'll give you my rest. I'll give you my strength, my courage, my confidence. I will give it to you. Come.
this moment, it's often where he speaks prophetically over you. Some of you have never heard prophetic words from the Father yet. They're coming. And when you hear this odd thing, don't discredit it and don't analyze it. Just receive it. Because he's going to picture something for you. And for some of you, it's going to be a new name. He may redeem the one you have, or he may go, that thing's been cursed way too many times. I'm going to give you a new one. So tonight, Father, when those who are standing each take that last deep breath before they drift off to sleep, will you speak their name in such a way that's so clear they can't miss it? And in so doing, will you just bring this sense of rest and peace over them? It's going to go past anything they've ever experienced in life. And then, for those who need it, will there be a new name? You did it in Old and New Testament. You can do it now. Give it. I'd love to wander my way through the audience and just place my hand someplace in your chest for a man or your shoulder for a woman. Put my hand on your head and just bless you. According to Denny, that time's coming in a little bit. Now just receive the bless, the best of the Father's blessing. And now, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, come in a way that you do so well. And give a sense of your amazing peace, a sense of your power and empowerment, and a sense of your very real presence with each one. Send forth your sons and daughters the sense of strength and confidence and courage not yet seen. And then give them the ability to pass it on to those who love them most. Pass it on. Amen. If you'd like elders and spouses, some other people be in the front to anybody with anybody who'd like to be prayed over. Can I ask all of you to stand, please? I want to give you my favorite benediction in church. Are you ready? Now that you're all standing, please leave. <laughs>